Andy Mark Strassman? No Strasser. He hasn't had a report since the 18th of March. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Wow. Although, I'll man, look. I would pay CBS $3.50 to get Mark Strassman to do a report on Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Like, <laughs> How do you think he opens? It was a slap hurt around the world. What? That doesn't play be something weird. No, that's everybody's using that yeah. phrase. He would have something much worse. <laughs> you mean it's much better. Here we are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that was amused last week to hear that Naomi Osaka, perhaps when she's on her game, the world's best female tennis player and the highest paid female athlete in the world, has finally sought professional help for the mental health struggles that she has been enduring so publicly for the past year or so. As you may remember, last May, after her decision to skip media obligations generated controversy at the French Open, Osaka withdrew from the tournament, posting on Instagram that she believed that the best thing for herself and for the Open would be for her to pull out. Quote, I never wanted to be a distraction, and I accept that my timing was not ideal, and my message could have been clearer. The truth is that I have suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I have had a hard time coping with that. End quote. She went on to describe her struggles with talking to the press as a symptom of high social anxiety and her being a natural introvert. Fast forwarding through a year of disappointing results on the court to last week, at a press conference during the Miami Open, Osaka revealed that she finally started talking to a therapist after a heckler yelled, You suck! at her during a match the week before at Indian Wells. I finally started talking to a therapist after Indian Wells. Uh, it only took like a year after French Open, but um, yeah, I don't know. She kind of like told me strategies and stuff, and I realized how helpful it is. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that I have people around me that, you know, told me to, like, go in that direction. Um, like, I feel like I've been trying a lot of different things because um, I, I tend to internalize things and I also want to do everything by myself. So, uh, Wim kind of put it in a really good way. He was like, you hire a coach uh, for, you know, tennis, you hire Yutaka for uh, fitness. And the mind is such a big thing. And um, if you can, like get a professional to help you out, like 0.5%, that alone is worth it. All of which is perfectly valid and fair enough. Osaka should be commended for determining what is in her own best interest and listening to the advice of close friends and family to seek help in treating a condition that is preventing her from doing what she wants to do. That her malady is a debilitating shyness and social anxiety rather than a bum knee doesn't change the fact that her health has become an obstacle to her thriving on her own terms. And, in fact, it speaks to a fortitude of character that she's willing to publicly discuss mental health issues that, especially in sports, are too often dismissed as a lack of will or grit. So why, then, did this podcast, laugh out loud upon reading the headline on CNN, Osaka started seeing therapist after Indian Wells. Is this podcast just an asshole? Maybe. But in pursuit of almost certainly doth protesting too much, here is a little bit of NPR's coverage of Osaka from last summer. It all started reasonably enough, framed mostly as a media story about how callously the press treats athletes, seemingly forgetting that they're people, too. Welcome to All Things Considered. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 
So Osaka wrote in her social media statement that people, and she means the press here, have no regard for athletes' mental health and that she's not going to subject herself to, quote, people that doubt me. You've been on that side of the table, right, answering questions. Describe the kind of questions she's talking about. I guess if I'm looking outwards, right, it's just you. (laughs) Overseas, I might have a translator, but it's just you and 30, 40, 50 people staring at you, waiting to ask essentially why you failed. You know, win or lose after a game, you're on your highest level of, you know, of alert, like your adrenaline is still rushing. And usually they, you know, will ask these questions while you still have your jersey on, um, often before you even make it to the locker room to decompress. So the questions that, especially after a loss, can be borderline insulting. Um, Do you think you'll still be on this team next week? Or why did you play bad? Just so as simple as that, where it's like, I haven't even processed this yet. And so the, the issue is that when you are asked a question like that, you're really only setting the athlete up to either A, give an answer that's meaningless, or B, you know, wear their heart on their sleeve. And a lot of times that ends up in fines anyway, especially if you're an NBA player, and none of it makes you look good. So why continue it? This framing of the story as a question of how the sports media sometimes kind of sucks continued into the next day. But notice that it took only 24 hours and no additional words from Osaka herself for the story to pick up a new, more narrative-heavy, socially and identity-fraught valence. But we decided to call upon one sports writer, Julie DeCaro, because she's had her own experiences challenging norms in sports coverage. She's a senior sports editor at Deadspin and the author of Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. Julie DeCaro, thanks so much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. So, initial reactions. I think she's absolutely right. Uh, You know, she is 23 years old. Uh, Naomi Osaka carries herself with an incredible amount of grace and intelligence, especially when it comes to the international press. We have seen incidents in the past where they do ask really terrible questions, especially with women like Serena Williams, especially with women of color, Uh, you know, sort of to bait them into saying something that they can then write up. So what do you say, though, to the criticism? And there's, of course, a, a lot of there's been a lot of response to this who say, look, this is what she signed up for, that this is the life of a professional athlete, it's not a secret that everybody knows this going in and that if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, I think that a lot of the people that I've seen saying that are are white tennis players and are male tennis players. And I think that the rules have always been very different for Serena Williams, for Venus Williams, for, for other women of color who are playing tennis. So the seed had been planted. Naomi Osaka wasn't just avoiding the media because she was anxious and uncomfortable or dealing with her own specific mental health challenges, but because women, and especially women of color, are uniquely victimized by a culture dominated by privileged women white men. A couple of days later, after Osaka withdrew from the tournament, NPR aired this from an interview with Sports Illustrated's John Wertheim. Her mental health challenges, that, that is not a secret. I mean, she, she has said at one point, you know, I, I am weird. It's kind of a fact. And she's, she's spoken very openly and admirably. And I think that's one of the things that's so sort of maddening about this, that anyone with a little bit of nuance and a little bit of context knew that her announcement was an athlete's I mean, really, a cry for help is really what it was. This was about an athlete who felt broken. This was not any sort of act of defiance. This was not an entitled athlete who was blowing off a convention. I mean, this was someone who was was wounded, and it's really a pity that the tennis administrators didn't know it. Just 30 seconds or so left, but to her point about wanting to make things better, to get the rules changed on this, how likely is that? 
I think we can all examine uh, whether these press conferences that she finds uh, can be so traumatic, if that's the best way to do business. I think a lot of this is about her and about her getting to a healthier space. And I suspect when she does, it's not going to be about making institutional changes. I think she just wasn't up to the press conference format. And uh, that really wasn't handled with a great deal of sensitivity. That sounds like a pretty reasonable step back from the totalizing theory of everything identity stuff they were factitiously flirting with just a couple of days earlier in the DeCaro interview. But several weeks later, after Simone Biles decided to pull herself out of the Tokyo Olympics with, essentially, the yips, something she attributed to some mental health concerns of her own, the NPR House Voice found a way to seamlessly weave the two stories into one. Essentially, that the unique burden carried by black athletes, and specifically women of color, was leading to a number of the most talented people in the world being unwilling or unable to perform as they hoped. Osaka's decision to prioritize her mental health and take some time away from the courts was rolled neatly into the Biles narrative, with both of them serving as examples of the toll of white supremacy. Sociologist Harry Edwards first wrote about this more than 50 years ago in his book, The Revolt of the Black Athlete. He's a professor emeritus at UC Berkeley, and I spoke to him earlier today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. What do you think the experience of Simone Biles says about the bigger picture here regarding the expectations and pressures that are put on Black American athletes? I think that it is indicative of something that has existed since Blacks began participating in mainstream sports. From that point, they became the focus of not just athletic performance and excellence, but also of all of the aspirations of uh, Black people in this country and uh, many of the fears of mainstream white society about black excellence. Uh, That's a lot of weight uh, on the shoulders of people who in many instances are, are just barely young adults. So let me ask you about the toll that this takes on the individual athlete. I mean, earlier this year, Naomi Osaka spoke openly about her struggles with mental health. Shakari Richardson was disqualified for a positive marijuana test, which she says she used to help cope with the death of her mother. Mental health challenges are obviously nothing new, but do you think the discourse around it has changed? Yes, it has. The discourse has changed principally because of the social media. You're talking about the pressure on black athletes, but so many of the Olympians we're talking about today are black women. Does that add another layer here? Of course. The women of um, uh, the Olympic Games have always carried a triple cross of race, gender, and the fact that they have been disrespected as athletes. Women, like black people, like other minorities in American society, have never been considered creditable witnesses to their own circumstances, outcomes, uh, and challenges. Uh, When they said something, they were simply not heard. So because of that triple burden of gender, race, and being athletes. Women have never been accepted uh, as uh, total and complete athletes, uh, even the greatest of them. That's sociologist Harry Edwards, author of the book Revolt of the Black Athlete, which was first published in 1968. He's Professor Emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Lost in all of this, of course, is absolutely anything that Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles actually has to say about their own situation, because the expert class has determined where their stories fit in the grander narrative, a total theory of everything that explains their suffering in ways that they as individuals could never hope to possibly comprehend. 
No, such understanding of the individual is only possible through the sociological historical sweep of all consuming white supremacy, conveniently theorized about at length in college classrooms all over the country for the last couple of generations. I see uh, a, a social valuing of black lives um, and black women's lives reflected in a lot of the sentiments that were um, placed upon Simone, um, hurtful sentiments in many ways. But in many ways, it's also reflective of our society, and um, it's an extension of the historical dehumanization and the treatment not only of black men, um, and, and being that I, I'm housed in the Department of African American Studies, bringing that history in, not only that dehumanizing treatment of black men um, that were really written into the Constitution as three-fifths a man, but a statement that uh, omitted taking the time to even evaluate black women. You know, but as I see Biles, Osaka, Raven Saunders, you know, mm -hmm. these are members yes. of the black community, you know, and one that historically embraced women's sport participation through programs, through coaching, through sponsorship. She's a member of the black female collective. And this is a collective mm -hmm. community of women that have historically endured experiences of dehumanization. So what could this podcast possibly have been laughing about all this time later when Naomi Osaka announced in a press conference that she had been seeing a therapist to help her deal with her mental health challenges. Perhaps after listening to all that endless identity schlock on the radio, this podcast had internalized some of that self-serious totalizing narrative and forgotten what Osaka's situation was about in the first place. A young woman, debilitated by shyness and social anxiety, feeling utterly uncomfortable in the public eye, especially in the moments after failing at the exact thing at which she is expected to be flawless. This wasn't about Simone Biles. It wasn't about the history of white supremacy in America. It was about Naomi Osaka and her sister finally convincing her to talk to a professional about how to deal. Not how to deal with the weight and burden of history on her shoulders, but just how to deal. And that's human. That's relatable. And that's funny. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How we doing, Lori? I feel very triggered. Very triggered. Tonight <laughs> um, is... I'm going to get uh, water. Tonight is Monday. Lori's leaving the room, disgusted, <laughs> to find a fizzy flavor water. Monday, March 28th, 2022. The day after the most important Oscars in the history <laughs> of the Academy Awards ceremony. I think it's safe to say. Abe... I wrote that, uh, I mean, long is a charitable way of describing. That was pretty solid. The intro that I put together there. And and this this is what you get for lightly pushing back on a take of mine. Like, <laughs> it just, it goes to show what a truly, I mean, the, the depths of my ability to blow hard as a blowhard cannot really be fully understood until... Abe lightly pushes back on me, and then I lightly have to spend... Lightly pushes back on you with, like, just nothing but niceness and understanding and sympathy. Just, By the way... You're like, if... hey, Abe, <laughs> and Abe's like, hey, maybe, don't be such an asshole. 
if and that's if like the is, whole conversation. If this is the uh, outcome of uh, of the light pushing, I should do it more often because I really enjoyed that. I listening to the different uh, segments from these NPR shows, I realized that I don't actually sit and listen to NPR shows. I listen to NPR podcasts through my feed and I wake up to NPR. So for those like 10 minutes of like, I got to get up, I'm hearing some stupid NPR story, but just listening to these different, are they from multiple shows or just all from one type of show? No, every different clip was from a different show basically. And, and a different day. Certainly, um, okay. if not quite. A, it, because, like, yeah, there, there might be there might be a couple of all things considered in there. I but. see, because the, the two takeaways from listening to these different uh, interviews uh, is first, I don't envy um, anyone who has to give takes on topics on a daily or frequent basis because no one I, has to. No one has to, <laughs> but you know they'll call you up like, hey. Something happened with this tennis woman. Uh, let's talk about this, that, and the other. And so you, you're in this unenviable position where you have to kind of give some sort of analysis, and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know why this person is behaving in this way. So I suspect that a lot of times they just fall back into this person is an other, someone other than me, so their experience necessarily must be so different than what it would be to me. Like a white person, let's say. I'm assuming some of these people are white. Uh, and so they're working kind of backwards based on that, what little they know. They're like, well, since this is a black woman athlete, it must be this thing. Where it could just be like a mental health thing that's specific to that person, but it's to that individual, not whatever group they're in. Now, it could be those other factors can come into play, but like this reflexive kind of, I don't want to say it's a crutch, but this tendency to just fall back into, well, if you fall into some sort of well-worn identity group, then it must be that must be playing a role, and that's not always the case. Necessarily, it's, it's not just not always the case. It is the case that in this particular situation, at at most, what you can say is that like white supremacy is in the air, and Naomi Osaka breathes the air, and therefore. Right we can accept that there's some amount of influence on her as a, as a total human being. That's a result of having grown up in this, in this air, right? And it's the, right. the water we're swimming in or what have you. Right. But the way that it gets talked about, the way that it gets packaged over and over again, over the course of like, I mean, that's just seven or eight weeks or something of, of NPR. And I listened, I'm not proud to say like, and what's <laughs> funny is that I listened to all of this shit and I remembered listening to it. A year ago or whatever it was, last summer. Right. And right. what was fun about it is that I didn't even realize why I laughed out loud when I laughed out loud. Like, then this became like a I very see. fun exercise for me because when not you... Not for me. Because, of note. Well, of sure. Note. Not for It's Lori. not fun to be around. <laughs> but when, when you guys were both less than impressed by my finding this hilarious, that, that Naomi right. Osaka had now a year later finally sought some help for her mental problems that triggered in me a response of like, well, what about this? Am I finding funny? Because yeah, the way that you think that I'm finding it funny is you just think, Oh, you're just being an asshole. Right. Like this poor, this poor little girl. Is what? it 0% that, or it, is it more than 0% that? I really don't think that this is me being an asshole. I think Are that the thing that, that I found issues? funny, the right. thing that I found funny was that, I had somehow 
ingested so much of this stuff that the way that I imagined the Naomi Osaka situation was her as this victim of all of these humongous forces, right? I didn't do this on purpose. It's not the sort of thing that, like, I I came to on my own. It was just having listened to all of that shit last summer and and the, you know, like, these are... a, a couple of them are like hour long shows, like, you know, big right. long radio programs where they discuss these things at length. And the Naomi Osaka stuff just gets tossed in as an example, right? Right. But, but because I'm ingesting this entire hour of stuff and then they're associating the Naomi Osaka story with this broader perspective, with this, these, these broader sweeping theories about the way that uh, the world works. I have now associated Naomi Osaka with all of that stuff. Right. And then when you read the headline, it's like Osaka booed at Indian <laughs> Wells is now talking to a therapist. Right. It's like, wait a second. Right. <laughs> so she spent the last year just under the vicious thumb of white supremacy and, and just the, the total burden of being a woman of color in, in sport. And only now is she talking to a sports psychologist about how to focus on the court. Like, right. So that was my immediate reaction was like, oh, my God. Right. That that's hilarious, and I wasn't right. even sure why. But exploring all of this stuff helped me realize what I found so funny about it. Now, if I recall, the one issue that I still and I still don't get is on her end, like the way that she, uh, people have treated her, like which is to be deferential. And if it took her a year to seek help, like in the clip that you were playing, uh, she just said, "Like I'm, I internalize things, or I, I." You know, it sounds like somebody who's like, I can, like, I'll, let me try to do it myself. Like, instead of seeking out help, because maybe if you seek out help in your head, you're going to think, oh, I'm admitting that I am fucked up in some kind of way. And maybe they resisted for a year to get to that step. And that's why I, I was, I'm always like, why not just defer to what they're saying? If it took them a year, if it took them a day, if it took them a few years, right? Or if they bl- backslide into harmful behavior, like, it's messy, right? And so on her individual part, just whatever, right? On yeah, the analysis absolutely. Part, and I agree with you. De- defer to her. Defer right. to the thing that she actually says. Right. Go with the way that she has presented herself in the world. Right. And what I'm right. saying is that by consuming all this fucking bullshit on NPR last <laughs> summer, I yeah. had lost the ability to defer to her. Right. Right. Because they had pasted their narrative of her situation over my understanding of it. Right. Whereas if I had only heard last at the end of last May that she'd pulled out of the tournament in order to get her mental health right and not then spent like every couple of days over the course of six or seven weeks hearing another story about how. Uh, Naomi Osaka, and and it ultimately culminating in being combined with the Simone Biles thing and the Shikari uh, Richardson thing, where they're all now the same story. And the only way that they can all be the same story is this bullshit sociological way of of, of the bullshit that 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 sociologist was spewing, right? There was one uh, person who didn't even fit. Like, I think it was the one who got popped for weed, right? I think, like, right. her mom died or well, something. no, because yeah. she said that it was because of her stress right. from her mom dying or whatever. But, but it wasn't, like, this, like, recurring or persistent thing that these, uh, like, you know, the twisties with uh, Biles yeah. and this no, seems to be... they're all very different things happening. Right. Uh, the, only, the, the, the one common theme is that they're black women athletes. And so they're, like... Yeah. And that's why... And I sound like an apologist tonight, but like on the other side, the analysis is poor, right? Uh, this 
the feedback you're getting from these supposed experts on uh, the radio and other settings is they fall back into these generic kind of, well, it must be this other thing because they themselves, they, they don't know. I don't know why can't they can't just say, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but they offer some sort of theory and it's always like, oh, she's black, so it must be some sort of black thing and there you go. And then that's the narrative. It also diminishes the thing that we're supposed to be caring about, right? Like we're right. supposed to now be prioritizing the mental health of these people and getting them the help that they need. But if right. you accept the totalizing narrative that this is all actually about white supremacy, then there's nothing that we can actually right. do for That's these true. people. Right. Because there's right. certainly no escaping that, right? Right. It's almost – I mean I, I don't think they would see it that way, but it almost – is a defeatist way to look at things. It's like, oh, it's this big thing. Instead of like, these are problems that other people face and you can see counseling and help and other treatments and other strategies, you know, instead of just like, oh, this big, whatever, sociological or cultural thing. It's just like, nah, your brain's a little different than others and you can seek treatment and figure it out. Right. So have I, have I justified my <laughs> LOL at, at that headline? As long as yes, it's uh, LOL. But the, the the my first take of it was that it was being applied unfairly to uh, the uh, the tennis player who had no real say in the right. narrative. Right. Well, you that's, said that's, the Abe's Abe's pushing back at you was you saying right because where like, the fuck does she get off right. not seeing a therapist? <laughs> right. And Abe simply said maybe it's not that easy. And you're like yeah, bull- bullshit. <laughs> Right. No. Right. And and sure. The the te- the official so documentation number, you being an asshole, of right? the text message exchange does not paint me in the most favorable light. But as I said, to be fair, what I realized in this whole process is that I wasn't actually mad at Naomi Osaka. That I was reacting to the picture of her that had been painted by these other assholes who gave me a completely false impression of what her situation is. Right. You could stop listening. Yeah, and I probably should, but I certainly oh, won't. When? <laughs> anyway, we're sort of burying the lead here because the Oscars happened last night. And, oh, that's right. And, Abe, if I told you that that fucking 12 and a half, 14 minutes, whatever it was, that I started at the top was merely one-third of the opus that I envisioned <laughs> when I sat down this morning to start putting this all together, uh, I think you would believe me, probably. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> but, but I... I you just have to trust me that there's a version of that opening that actually runs 45 minutes and you and Lori just nap for the first hour of well, the I show. Think you, I think there are things called blogs and I, I know, think should, you might have one. It, and I'm what I'm hearing maybe is that what you've written is a blog post. Yeah, it should be a blog. But nobody okay. reads the blog. And no at one least, listens to this. But at least I have to go back and listen to this tomorrow. So That's right. Somebody will be around to hear this. <laughs> Even nice if it is you just me. <laughs> Not sure what's more pathetic, being the only person to go back and reread your old blogs or be the only person to go back and listen to your own podcasts. It's in the same category, though. Anyway, the point is that there's a way that I was planning on connecting this with both the Katanji Brown-Jackson confirmation hearings from last week and also the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock last night. And it, it would have been beautiful and wonderful. Uh, is but we the didn't connection get... is the connection the actual incident or how people are reacting to the thing? To it, they're black. No, right, because it's nothing. And Will it's Smith not, is very athletic. It's not the blackness <laughs> at all. Actually, it's the degree to which 
we are all just constantly insistent on make with something that we actually said a few weeks ago, if I recall correctly, where everything has to be about my thing. No matter what the yes. thing is, it has to become my thing. And because the NPR house voice, especially since the George Floyd murder, has been about the totalizing effect of white supremacy on the culture, that's how they end up framing anything that gets anywhere in the neighborhood of that conversation. So right. Naomi Osaka and the girl who's disqualified for smoking a bowl and Simone Biles and everybody else all gets rolled into this same stupid story that doesn't actually have anything to do with the reasons that they are in the situation that they're in, or at least certainly nothing causal. You know, it's, it's vaguely interesting from a, I wrote a stoned essay for my college class sort of way, but the right. idea that it like becomes the definitive story of these people should be kind of gross actually to normal journalists, right? To, to people right. who care about representing the world as it is rather than the world as uh, they believe it ought to be. But yeah, that was the, the the bottom line of the connection there. And let's start with let's start with last night because yes. uh, you you weren't watching. You watched it today, right? Yes, uh, and I was watching something else that I'll mention at, at when we do our what have you watched lately. But I was not watching it live. My plan, as with many things, I always defer to the future, and then I just go back and like let's see what happened. And I carved out some time this morning on my very busy Monday morning at yeah. work to watch a four hour. Fucking show. By the way, whatever happened to all that trimming? I oh, look at my DVR. Do a lot of work. The Oscars promised that they were going to make this happen in three hours. They were going to get in. They were going to get out. They were going to do an hour's worth of awards before the show even happened in order to make sure that uh, they didn't go all the way until midnight. They it, didn't go all the way until midnight. And then they go until like 1140 or something anyway. Yeah, right? like my DVR showed three hours and 45 minutes. I'm like, what gives? Like all of that cutting, not to be. Yeah. But uh, by the time I did watch it, I already knew the, you know. You knew the, the drama that was coming. We were watching live, and I have to tell you, it was among the most thrilling moments of live television. <laughs> it was awful. That didn't have anything to do with sports that I can remember happening in years. Like, right. Like, just... Like Lori and I sitting, like it's like the whole room suddenly grew thick with something. It was it's like, awful. What is happening? And he look over at Lori, and I'm like, "What is happening? Right. Did that just happen? Was he that?" He thought a... it was a bit, it, and I, I was said so, it was not. I thought you it got... has to be a bit. There's no way that that could actually happen. Like my brain, my eyes were telling me that was definitely not a bit because it was way too well acted. It it was just perfect. They both should have had long careers in professional wrestling if that was yes. a bit. But right. nonetheless, even though my eyes were telling me definitely not a bit, my brain was like, that has to be a bit. Right. I will not be suckered into actually falling for this shit because there's no way that actually happened. Also, there was no big brouhaha and people with headsets coming in and, you know, people jumping in and stopping. It was basically like, go up, slap, walk back. Show continues. Like, what What just happened? Right. And and by the way... I, I'm sure that I'll, I'll, I'll stick the relevant sound clip in here of the of the actual thing happening. Right. Uh, everyone knows But what everybody fucking knows what happened, right? Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh-oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. 
Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. <laughs> the Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I could, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Okay. By the way. Uh, watching it live and, and being very weird, uh, your experience is much better than my experience, but it must be noted that it was a kind of a weird out of context. You ever receive a bunch of text messages and no one is actually explaining what happened. They're just like, that must have been a bit. Oh my God, I can't believe what happened. I'm like, what <laughs> right. are you talking about? <laughs> More words. And because I got like five different messages that I saw later uh, that said basically like, was that a bit? Like, what was that? It was it basically was so like, awful. what the fuck? I'm still uncomfortable. Yeah, that was... A- I, it, it was like, it was con... There's no... Whenever there's conflict... I really don't like conflict. Like, just pretend it's not bothering you. Right. Because I'm uncomfortable. Right. And, like, deal with it later. And that's how I want the world to just, like, that's war. I don't like war. Just don't fight. Well, that's basically what Chris Rock did. Like, Chris. No, he did great. Chris Rock was like, that just happened, but we're going to pretend like it didn't, I guess. Right. De escalate, basically. Thankfully, there are. That's all you uh, can do. Article 5 doesn't apply to friendships because, like, if one of Will Smith's friends came in and then another of Chris Rock's comes in and it becomes a yeah, big where the, where the fuck was Adam Sandler and David Spade running out there to defend <laughs> Actually, Chris Rock's that was, honor? That Oscar's if venue those are was your, bu- like, buddies to defend your honor and Will Smith is punch it, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, not only is Will Smith bigger than Chris Rock, but he has all of his little Scientology-affiliated buddies there. That how that whole place was pro will. I think that the most impressive thing in terms of Chris Rock's reaction, because this is a person who has made an entire life, like probably going back to when he could first form sentences at being the quickest, meanest person in the room. Right. right? Like a person who I like I mean he had a show called Everybody Hates Chris. Right. Like I I pride myself as a shithead at being really good at in the middle of a conversation, knowing exactly the mean cutting, but still witty remark that I can make to really get at somebody. Right. Like it's, it's sort of a, a sickness that a person like me has. It's a necessity for some people. Like I imagine Chris growing up was very small. Right. And so like his way out of just being bothered and bullied would be probably being faster and wittier. Than the next person, and if people are laughing, they're not punching. It's not Bob's excuse, right? Not my excuse. But <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, like, I know that he sat on like just oh my a, God. an absolute oh my waterfall God. of oh responses <laughs> that were just absolutely torrenting through his brain in that moment, right. like right. because it probably takes a second where like everything just goes blank, and then it's like the instincts kick in, and those are lifelong instincts that for somebody like Chris Rock are really hard to stifle. And in that moment, he's like, I could, and then he stops, and he right. doesn't say any of I the mean, billion things that he could have said. Initially, he responded quickly. He either got smacked upside the face by Will Smith or whatever, like half a second after getting smacked about the face. And right. so the rest of the stuff, you're right. I think there's a lot of things he was processing. 
and he no, probably he knew landed it was serious. on the- Yeah, like, he that's a fight or flight instinct, and that was the freeze element right. of that. Just like right. nope. <laughs> right. He's like, let's de-escalate. And also a throwaway joke at best. Seriously. Just- it's not even anything. <laughs> it is it's also <laughs> and this is it's not how it was necessarily meant, but also it it just means that she's ripped and has a shaved right. head. Right? right. Like it means she looks fucking great. Right. <laughs> like basically. It it doesn't mean anything. It's a right. 25-year-old reference. It's nothing. It's right. n- it's that's just a, that's nothing. the thing. On the surface, there, it, it's nonsensical. I mean, even if you, there was a backstory, there's no you have no right to just be assaulting somebody. You can't somebody. go to these things if you aren't going to exactly. be okay with your right. exact bottom worst thing about you. If you right. can't get picked on about that, you can't yeah. come to these things. And anytime comedians are doing the show. I mean, like, they had three as the host. And, like, didn't Amy Schumer do, like, a lighthearted, like, seat filler joke about an actor, right? Well, so, that was after. That was after. That was yeah. my favorite thing. So she walks over to Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. Right. And kicks Kirsten Dunst out of her seat and says, get the seat filler out of here. <laughs> like, that is a, first of all, it's a better, it's a better joke than Chris right. Rock's joke, right. right? And also, it's way more disrespectful and dismissive yes. of Kirsten Dunst. And I wanted so badly for Jesse Plemons to understand that that was his opportunity to stand up and pretend to slap the <laughs> shit right. out of Amy Schumer. Like, and it was, it was, it would have been perfect That's, and it would have brought the fucking house down right but, he but just, he's he's just an actor he's a fucking dummy actor who only knows what to well, do when, that, when it's written that for and him. like that's an advanced he you know that's a, right it's a very good joke but it's good because it you have to think and, about it like i didn't would have to be see it as immediately page. disrespectful you know like it would have taken scripting also i suspect and you know i think amy schumer kind of pointed to it maybe before the seat filler bit but she's like the the energy in the room change and yes. i suspect that probably is true like it was very like oh god right it must it have been like different what in the our f- house yeah. we're not there and we don't know any of those people right. so i can't imagine plemons thinking this would be ripe for yeah a callback <laughs> it would remember it, oh, i know <laughs> I, i'm not funny. blaming him because he's just a dummy but like it happened you. as as it was happening i was like I, I knew right away. Like it, it was, it would have been just perfect. <laughs> that would have, been, yeah, that would have been perfect. I just saw, like you know, there's all these stupid memes and whatever. But there was somebody that said something this morning. It's like, you know how famous you have to be to walk up on stage at the Oscars, slap a dude, sit back down, and carry on like nothing happened. Which is now I don't know. I mean, it's partially uh, p- star power. I mean, it's mostly that. But also, Will Smith is like a. Seem, I mean, he's a big guy, but he's like seemingly non-threatening. Like it just seemed like what the fuck. Like if it was, I, I don't know. I feel like he's else, not non-threatening at all. Like he, he could have hit him the, so hard that right. was like that could have been awful. Instead, right, but, it was just just awful for me. It could have <laughs> gone so much worse. Yeah, it could have just spiraled out of control if. Chris Rock kind of lost his head too, right? Basically, I don't know. It seems like I don't. I mean, the size differential. I think no, no, that but not like in a fisticuff, but if he started, if he took on the sure. wife mouth thing and did some wordplay and he did something crude yeah. and it would have just turned yeah, yeah, into yeah. 
if he had just if he had just gone in, right into the easy well of making the joke that they made earlier at their expense about the open marriage thing, right? right? Like yeah. if he had it's, just because that was definitely among the first half dozen things that goes sprinting through his mind in terms right. of I things that he could say. Right. Wasn't that the whole thing of the third? It was like what uh Amy, Regina, and Regina is the one that did like, let's get all the good looking guys to be, yeah. you know, groped or whatever. And uh, she she made some sort of comment towards Will Smith, like, you guys are married, but something, I forget the joke. But basically, there was some connections made to whatever it is going, going on between them. Right. But it's remarkable that they did not remove him from there. Like, you can't just slap I mean, have somebody. you read about this? Have you read about why? I read they were considering it, but they didn't because the best actor thing was coming up Supposedly, later. Supposedly, they just couldn't decide what to do in time. Right. Yeah, and they, they were all spread across the theater. Right. The, like, the people... The people in charge are just, like, out there having a time on the most important night of their, of the, of their oh, year. Oh, so there's no, like, central and, command? Like, I mean, there's, like, a the, the director there of was the Almost Oscars. certainly there was a head of security who decided not to do anything about it, right? right. Like, there, there's, there's, must, there's somebody in the fucking room whose job it is is to maintain operational security. And right. he was like, no, we're, we're just going to go. We're fine. Right. I mean, it's, like, I think the, like, Chris Rock, the professional that he is... <laughs> continued with his little thing and then a documentary the won. Like, you would think that he would have just walked off. No. And, and and really the like the only thing that he he only sort of stumbled. He's like, oh we're yeah. here to give out a documentary. I mean we're here to give out an yeah. Oscar for documentary. Right. But that was it. That was the extent right. he, of him. Yeah he regained his footing and you could kind of see when uh the Questlove guy won the documentary that Will Smith was back to his normal just applauding and he gave the guy a handshake or whatever. Like, it seemed like, oh, they recovered very quickly. And so maybe the security and all the decision makers are like, if we Apparently him, Denzel Washington was the one who, like, calmed right, him down. Right. Denzel, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Denzel was there. I think somebody said Bradley Cooper. There are a couple of people during a commercial break that kind of like, maybe they're just trying to calm him down. But I would imagine that the decision makers are like, well, let's not rattle this any further we're about an hour away from finishing this whole thing we'll deal with this after so let's punt but it's just odd i I suspect that if will smith was just there because of a celebrity and he's not up for anything they probably would have told them you have to leave but since the absence would be very noted will smith like yeah if it was someone with a uh, like a marky mark type yeah who's yeah some sort of if there right. were someone we don't think of as like our brother that we grew up with, right? It it might have been different. Will Smith is not well, is what we I think we learned. He's not he's he, not in a great place right now. He, he had a hasn't brain fart been for a long time. Right. What, what's I suspect, and and this is me doing the connecting of the dots, but it's like 100% Will Smith's fault, but I'm rounding up, so let's say it's 99.5%. The other half percent is this stupid reaction cam thing we have in this in society. Basically, if this were a schoolyard, the reaction camera that's always there in your face is like the, the crowd that's egging the fight on. Like, ooh, what say you? Because the camera caught Will Smith, and this happens a lot where people just kind of proactively laugh and and are happy or they're just kind of anticipating some sort of joke that these comedians are going to say so i think that i think that he i think that he genuinely laughed you think he was reacting to the joke i think he was just kind of like 
primed for a joke and then he's kind of like mindlessly whatever and then he- i don't know i looked at it and it looked like he was laughing at the joke and then because jada pinkett was not laughing at the if joke that, that's what turned the tide i mean that that's one of the likely scenarios right but if that's true then then i will go with what you're saying there's something wrong with them right i think that he was just like ha 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 oh wait what did he say and he processed the information and then he went into this how okay, dare but what, you like i it's not a good enough or a mean enough joke for 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 him to suddenly say, "Oh, what did he say?" and then right. have to get up and defend his defend his wife's honor in this so, bullshit honor culture kind of way. Yeah, like, very, like, and we'll I'm, we'll get into what his we'll get into his acceptance speech in a minute. I'm sure. Right. I'm sure but, the toxic masculinity pieces are going to come out right about how oh, yeah. what he did is actually in line with that. Like, I'm going to do violence on somebody to protect my woman. It's very weird kind of thing right that he kind of yeah. leaned into protect but, protect from what like yeah. what are we even talking yeah. about Just, and 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 it sounds like you said 99 and a half percent is on will smith and a half percent is on the reaction the cameras. On. Yeah. i was i was afraid you were going to say and a half percent is on chris rock telling no, the joke no because this is a a wide swath that, it's remarkable of the, of the reaction right. has yeah. been to be mad at chris rock for doing the thing right whether or not the joke is funny or not, or it landed, it didn't land. If you think it's a little cruel, if you know about her alopecia, which is not it's, like a mental illness or something, right? But whatever. Right. Right. It doesn't by even the way, matter. Ableism, yeah. doesn't, ableism doesn't mean anything <laughs> yes. if we're going to classify this joke as ableist. Right. Because alopecia is not a disability, right? right? It, it might cause... It's a disability to grow hair. It might right. cause you, like, emotional instability. <laughs> it might, as a result of not right. being able to grow a full head of hair. Well, and it's usually right. sometimes caused by emotional instability. Right, but it's not disabling. That that, no. that thing itself is not disabling. And you know what? Our jokes about people's appearance, even even like mostly innocent ones like this one, which is just like, hey, you don't have any hair. Hey, you would be good in this movie. Right. There was this movie once that right. fam- famously this woman shaved her head. <laughs> Those two things are the same. Right. Like, that's the level of the stupidity and right. innocence that's, of the joke. It's right? not worthy like, of a slap, basically. But right. it doesn't- <laughs> that's why what he said, it was a G.I. Jane joke. Right. Like 100% sums up like – that's not even funny. Right. What are you worried about? It's not even not funny. It's not even mean. Like, it's yeah. not yeah. clear to me right. how can, it's particularly mean. You and, can and, read and mean bald into jokes, it. Bald jokes right. are as old as the fucking form, right? right? Like, you, you, when people lose their hair, you rip on them because it's kind of fun. Is it mean? Is it nice to tear people down for, like, things that they can't change about themselves? Of course not. It's also, like, a fundamental way that humans communicate with one another and show that actually we're all in this together. Together, right right it's, it's not the greatest thing that we do but it is a thing that we do and in fact it's something that we did earlier in the night the same exact presenters did about a different celebrity and i got a clip right here I'm very disappointed that space jam 2 did not get do- nominated in the special effects category oh for that hairline they gave lebron james oh my god amazing it was really good that it was, was really good Black Twitter is gonna love that one. I think so. <laughs> yeah, what is that? No. Uh, you, you no. Don't. no, no, no. Don't. It's not, uh, it's not for you. Okay. Yep. That wasn't the only one, by the way. There was another, if you don't take it the wrong way, it's a non story. So that's why th- this was, this would have been a, a non story. Nobody would have remarked on it if there was no reaction, right? But the same co host, they did something where, uh, oh, we've been in the pandemic for two years. 
look at Timothy Chalamet, right? This young pretty boy, but they cut to J.K. Simpsons, and the joke that I look at this old fucking looking right. guy, yeah. right? And well, he kind of took thing. it like, yeah, I whatever. Really, it's one of the things, and you're pretty okay about it. I really don't like making fun of people's appearance. Like right. it. Part of that is because of my job, but it like I feel really icky to right. say this person is ugly. Like right. I hate saying it i hate thinking it but at the oscars that's what you're there for right you're all right. a-list amazing living a dream celebrities right you can't take it seriously right that's right and, and, and i and i also think i i guess i was differentiated like you know people that you know and you grew up with if you're kind of like ribbing kind of like there's a intimacy already there and you can kind of take a dig here or there that's fine but you're right if it's like to someone you don't know or you just are you know yeah it, don't take those digs because you don't know how people respond. I'm not saying you're going to get slapped, but like, right. But the point is that like this it. this ceremony that has all of these people generally taking like weird moral high ground stances and, and believing themselves to be moral leaders in the world sometimes right. needs the air. To, you need to take the air out of that a right. little bit, and right? that's why people and like it, comedians being on the show. I mean, Ricky Gervais made a whole thing with the Golden Globes about how he would he just sure shit on did. everybody, and people react well to it. I mean, not I guess the people who uh, are getting the brunt of it, but you don't react in this way. And not to psychobabble analyze, but again, making the connection that's likely not there. But months ago, Will Smith, I guess, wrote a book and he was on one of the CBS morning shows. And I think Gail King or somebody was interviewing him and he was talking about how he felt like a coward in retrospect, because like his mom was being beat up by his dad and he would not stand up because he was scared of his dad. Right. And he's like, his mom took a lot of, of the physical and mental and emotional abuse. And he didn't do what he thought he should have done. I don't know if he just had like a brain fart and he connected that. Like he's, this person making funny, somebody I love in front of everybody and the camera's pointing at me and I'm laughing too. And he, his brain must have just broken. Something went wrong because I've never seen, obviously no one's ever seen something like that. That is crazy how you would react in that way. I mean, like, the, the idea that like, oh, we should be talking about something else. Like, ah, oh, that's out the fucking window. Like, it's, it's the most insane thing that it's I can the- remember <laughs> happening on live television in a very long time. And, and it was the right sequence of events because if any of the three co-hosts said that, there's no slapping anybody, right? There's no way, like if Amy Schumer did no, it. No, he wouldn't have hit a lady. Right. Or Wanda Sykes said it. I don't no. know if he would still say, hey. I mean, it's a good question. Like you said this morning, if Ricky Gervais had said it. Yeah. What does the shape of this change if it's Ricky Gervais? And I don't know. I think it's because, again, I'm making connections, but I don't think he would have done it if it was Ricky. I don't think he would have done it if it was Jimmy Kimmel. I think there's like. Chris Rock and him, they've worked together before. There's pictures of them. They're all kind of like friendly. You know, I think it was his girlfriend on The Fresh Prince. Like he dressed up as a woman when it was that was okay. Uh, right. And like they've had interactions in the past. He made fun of Jada uh, and Will when he hosted the Oscars six years ago where it was like the Oscars so white and it's like Jada's boycotting? Get out of here. You have no movie. Jada's going to boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting... Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited. <laughs> so maybe this was been this has been accumulating for some time. Where like, I thought you were a friend and your 
in front of everybody or making fun of me and my wife or whatever. Like, I don't know. But I think that added knowing each other probably contributed because I don't see Ricky Gervais getting smacked upside the head. And also, would he have the opportunity? I think he would, like, cower backwards. Like, Chris Rock was thinking he was getting a talking to because he kind of, yeah. like— Expo- or he thought he, that he thought that Will was doing a bit in some like not that right, they but, were in on some bit together, right. but like but, he thought Will was like fucking around. But I thought he was Will gonna, was not he, he fucking was, around. He was <laughs> expecting a dressing down or something because he had his hands back, like he wasn't threatened, right? He leaned right. in thinking that he was Will Smith would also lean in and say, "Hey, cut it out!" or "What are you doing? I'm about to win a goddamn Oscar and you're shitting on me!" Right? Something. Right. He wasn't expecting, and that's why I think it added to the is this a bit thing because Chris Rock made no attempt to put himself in a defensive posture. Like, whoa, 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 you know, like something. Like, he was just kind of like, oh, what's up? Wham. Yeah. I, uh, I want to play, I'll play a clip from the acceptance speech here. But he opens by saying that the character that he played, which is Serena and Venus's father, yeah. that he was a, he was, Fiercely protective of his family. Richard Williams um, was a fierce defender of his family. And like, so the, the, the best part of that, of course, is that the clip that they showed for his movie, because they went back to showing clips this year. After last year, they hadn't shown very many clips so they they reformatted the oscars again and they're they're showing clips again and this is the clip that they showed for will smith's portrayal of of king richard will smith king richard i've never done nothing but try to protect you this next step you're about to take it would would be hard for anybody but for you you're not going to just be representing you. You're going to be representing every little black girl on earth. The, uh, the irony of that particular <laughs> clip being used, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's a great performance. It's one of the three or four out of the ten that I didn't get to see, uh, most, mostly because it wasn't easily available on streaming, I don't think. The, the ones now, that I didn't yeah. see... Were the Apple the Apple ones and also King Richard, and, I, and I'll get around to King Richard, I'm sure. Especially now, I gotta, I gotta see, see if I can <laughs> find no any breadcrumbs. Yeah, I can beat Will up Smith's in, uh, performance. <laughs> but like the irony of him of them using that clip because, and this was part of what I was going to connect everything back to the stupid Naomi Osaka thing earlier too. But this is there's a weird way in in which that is that mindset about how. He's telling his daughter, and I, I don't know how true to life that is, if Richard Williams ever told Venus that when you go out there, you represent all little black girls that was and, dramatized. and not just, th- yeah. not just like, yourself. My guess is that's a dramatized moment, yeah. uh, but whatever. The point is there's something poisonous about that. There's something that's actually really wrong about that, which is that it, it, it goes against – like and maybe it's just him doing like a real politics thing where it's like look I don't believe this necessarily but the 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 fact of the shitty world that we live in right. is that you as a black girl out there stand in for all of the other black girls when when people are looking at you and right. I, and like that's opposed to everything that I think when I 
encounter someone out in the world, right? Like, it, it would never occur to me that the way that Serena or Venus Williams behaves is somehow representative of all black people right. or all little black girls. And, and, and maybe it is just a way of understanding the world, and it's, it, it's a, a way of understanding how shitty the world can be, not necessarily how shitty the world always is. But there's something poisonous about that. And it would be equally poisonous for us to say, Will Smith did that as a representative of of all black men, right? right. That, that actually they're just like these uh, violent and animalistic and unthinking brutes, right? right. Like that's a stereotype right. that exists. But like it's it, it would be profoundly morally wrong of me to draw that connection in that moment. And I didn't. But like there's this way that insisting that Serena Williams and Venus Williams represent all little black girls plays into that in a way that I don't think is particularly healthy. Right. And, and I suspect uh, like like you mentioned that it that was a dramatized thing and it wasn't actually true to life. But I do I guess you, you you would have to appreciate the fact that they were stepping into a world where there weren't a lot of black athletes, uh, women athletes in that sport. So basically, you are a sample size of one. So any sort of judgments made about black women athletes in that sport is whatever the fuck you're doing, right? Like, if you're a white man uh, at tennis, there's so many that it's not a Pete Sampras just took a shit in the middle of the court. Like, nobody can say these fucking white man tennis players <laughs> right. are shitting all over the court but if there's only one like Native someone American, would for sure say that that would say well there they go again and, and i'm sure there's yeah. a, <laughs> there go there goes those whites <laughs> i'm sure there's a non-zero number white of people. men shitting all over everything as usual right but and i'm sure there's a non-zero number which is true of anything i guess but uh that will point to what Will Smith did, and if they have some sort of racial prejudice towards black men, would say, well, look at that. The mask has come off. This is who... Eh, it's not going to work because Chris Rock is just as black. Right. So, like... Right. No, no, it doesn't they, have to they be... They will... If they try to draw that conclusion, it won't right. work. Because... Uh, you, you'll, you'll, you'll find that uh, racists uh, don't need to be consistent at all times. They'll, they'll just focus on that and dismiss right. the others. But... I do what's agree, his though. What's stand-up called? The, blacker than black? What's his? What's yeah, his? Bla- what's Chris Rock? <laughs> bigger and blacker. Bigger and blacker. Or yeah, something? bigger and blacker. But yeah. I do find the acceptance speech to have been a little bit gross. But I will cut him some slack because this was like forty minutes after the slap, right? So he's trying to make connections. He maybe recognizes that he kind of fucked up. You know, I don't know if he fully appreciates. It wasn't just up. it wasn't just Denzel and Tyler Perry who were talking to him during the commercial break. His publicist also yeah. came up to him right. and was talking to him during the commercial break. Right, and I'm sure they yep. told him work in an apology, and he went out of his way not to apologize to the person who he hit. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Oscars, and he apologized Ac- to the Academy. The Academy. <laughs> And he almost said to his fans, I yeah. think he almost slipped and said to my fans, but instead he said I to my fellow like, performers and everyone right. here. But like notably, he did not apologize I to I feel Chris like Rock. having seen altercations with people, oftentimes it is hard for the person to apologize to the person that they were. Yeah, doing that's true. Especially that, it was, that is was, not. That's- I agree that it was hard, but like in that moment, you have an opportunity, like a, a, a an impossible, like holy shit! I now have an opportunity to start to fix this in a like really profound way, and like it would have only taken 
three more words. Yeah, and but I'm, there's pride that stands in the way, isn't there? And instead he committed to this, this is about family thing, right? Uh-huh. which was just total horseshit. And it immediately had me thinking about like Heisenberg. It had me thinking about right. Walter White <laughs> and Breaking Bad and Tony Soprano. And I'm going to play a clip now from, I think it's the last episode or the second to last episode of Breaking Bad. Okay. Ooh, fun. So, you know, spoilers. Skyler. All the things that I did. You need to understand. I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was really I was alive. Walter White spent years as a character insisting to anyone who would listen that he did this to protect his family, to make sure that his family was taken care of. And at the very end, in the most cathartic moment of the entire series, at least for me, he finally admits, I did it for me. And that's what Will Smith was fucking doing. He did that for him. It had nothing to do with protecting the honor of Jada Pinkett. It had nothing to do with anything but his own sense of wounded pride and ego. That's all it was about. And it was mostly that. Basically, just your ego was wounded or the relationship, you know, all the people are saying things about my wife, which is an attack on me, but I'm going to use my wife as the person I'm defending. Like, it's this weird... That's why I found the, uh, the acceptance speech just very, like, Nah, this is not the right approach. And also, whatever happened to that fucking music that gets you out of there? He was talking for like four minutes. They let him do whatever he they wants. Don't, they don't cut them off anymore. It's okay. nice, usually. Somebody should test that theory. Talk for fucking eight hours. See what happens. But, like, he handled it poorly. And I think as of Monday night, the PR people, I guess he didn't listen to to their advice uh, on Sunday night. But they released some sort of announcement Actually saying sorry to Chris Rock. That's not. Oh, yeah. did they? I haven't. I haven't, okay. se- oh, I haven't yeah, seen that his statement. Instagram. Yeah, that's not Will Smith. That's the PR people. Like they're like, come on, Will, yeah. you you have to it's do it. It's his Instagram. Yeah, that he doesn't run. But... Yeah. <laughs> the representative right, of Will pull, Smith. Or... Let me pull that up here so I can read the. <laughs> this is from Will Smith's Instagram. Violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are a part of the job, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line and I was wrong. I I am embarrassed and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. I would also like to apologize to the Academy, the producers of the show, all the attendees, and everyone watching around the world. I would like to apologize to the Williams family and my King Richard family. I deeply regret that my behavior has stained what has been an otherwise gorgeous journey for all of us. I am a work in progress. Sincerely, Will. Sincerely, definitely not from Will. I mean, there's no way that's him. 
Yeah, it's a well-written and total apology with only one little sort of unnecessary caveat about how I reacted emotionally because of the joke about well, my wife's medical condition. Right. The joke was not about the medical condition, but I, I guess he can take it that way because he knows more, I suspect. But he's or his representatives are right about another thing, which is it did overshadow the family that was there to kind of see the win, the CODA people, the deaf people uh, that were out and about later on. It's kind of like yeah. – if you wanted to, you could you could easily frame all of this as once again the Williams sh- sisters getting shat on unnecessarily <laughs> because first of all the Williams sisters, two of the greatest female athletes yes. in in the history of any sport period right, and the movie that gets made is about their fucking dad yes <laughs> it's like itself is pretty funny, uh, but then on top of that at the Directors Guild Awards or whatever when. Uh, Jane Campion. Oh, that's like, right. Just completely unnecessarily is like, well, <laughs> I had to fight the boys and you guys didn't. Like, why? Well, like, come on, Jane, what's your problem? Which again, like, I think got overblown in the reaction to it. But then last night, like, uh, uh, they're just there to like enjoy the Oscars and have a Hollywood moment, and they get to start the show by by that's right going by to announcing Beyonce. that Beyonce is going to be performing. Right, right. And it's At- this big thing, and then. <laughs> Like, and then at the end, they're just staring there, staring at the stage in abject horror as this guy talks about, like, this is just about me protecting my family, just like just like their dad did. And Venus has a look, like, just a stricken look on her yeah. face. Like, why? Like, what? get my dad's name out yeah. of your mouth is <laughs> what right. she's probably thinking. That's the move right there. Venus just right. coming down, smacking him. That's right. <laughs> Oh man, but like yeah, I agree with you. The 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 apology was just absolutely un, not up to the moment and he should have it wouldn't have been that hard to just start playing the charming Will Smith role yeah, again, right? But I think he the just one wasn't, that we all know and love. He wasn't in that headspace to do that. I suspected the you know the vessel for love and a river that I take a shit in or my people, all that stuff that he was saying. That was like pre slapping thing and he tried to work it into post slapping world and it just right. felt weird like what do you mean vessel of you just assaulted somebody what do you mean vessel right. so and i also think that he he either didn't understand denzel washington's point yeah or or should have just left it out because Den, when Den, cause Denzel is like he is the son of actual preachers, I think. Like right. he's a he's a personally yeah. Denzel's like an actual Christian, right? He's like a an actual religious person, not right. this bogus Scientology stuff. Right. And so when he says to Will Smith, apparently during the commercial break, like it's when you're at your highest point that the devil comes for you. Right. He wasn't talking about that external Chris devil. Rock. Yeah. That, right, Chris yeah. Rock is not the <laughs> devil in this in this scenario. Right. He's referring to your own ego Internal. rising up inside yeah. you right. and blinding you to the fact that you're a bad. You, you you then behave as a bad person, right? Right. That's it's it's about what's going on inside, not about Chris Rock as Satan himself. And I think that got a little twisted yeah. because, of course, uh, Will Smith's frame of reference is Scientology, which is not exactly in. Uh, direct well, we keeping with the tenets of Christianity. We don't know that a hundred percent sure. I think he took his kids to some Scientology school, but I don't think they're a hundred percent in. He's got his own religion. But he looked awfully. He looked awfully quick and happy to like bear hug John Travolta. John, up oh there. yeah, uh, he he brought all his friends. But you're right on that. Like because the advice when he said it, I was like, oh no, you took that 
the other way. Like that's right. not you how. You took this exactly wrong. But that, I guess, the next step is like, would you give any advice to a narcissist? Because they'll take it na- naturally wrong, yeah, right? If you t- they'll just do it wrong. Right? If you tell somebody, hey, man. You're don't right. Get- Everyone is out to get me. <laughs> Good point. <Yeah. laughs> like, what? It's no, no, no. not what I said at all. Like, no, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. Well, I don't, this. Boy, I, 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 the slap just kind of threw me off that I forgot that this was his first uh, act, you know, best actor win. I was like, yeah. you fucking ruined this. Like, you, <laughs> everything was going well. It was a coronation, and nope. So I'm going to play this. This is uh, Anthony Hopkins comes on later to present the second to last award of the night, I think, the, the actress award. Whoa, well, thank you. <laughs> Good evening. It's great to be here. Well, what an evening, and uh, thank you. Will Smith said it all. What more can be said? Let's have peace and love and quiet and... All right, so... I did not... I missed that. I guess I didn't (laughs) pay attention. Is Anthony Hopkins trolling Will Smith there? Because in my head, I have decided that Anthony Hopkins, when he says, well, Will Smith said it all... What else is there to be said? Do, like, so, so there are there are two options that I see. One is that Anthony Hopkins missed the entire thing, and all, he missed the fight, but he heard Will Smith's I see. very emotional speech. Right. That's what and I was then, thinking. And then he's like, "Well, man, he that was wonderful and great, Nailed and he really it. said it all, didn't yeah. he?" Right. And and there's just nothing else to be said. Or alternatively, the only other option that I see that's plausible is that. Anthony Hopkins is just taking a giant dump right on Will Smith I feel like it, in front I feel of everybody. Like, I feel like he's doing the second one. I think that he's doing the second one, oh. and I love him for it. And <laughs> that I, would be amazing. I, I don't care. I don't. I don't. And he's the sort of private guy who I doubt will ever confirm or deny one way or the other. And in fact, if asked about it, would probably say, "I just, I thought he gave a wonderful speech, yeah. sort of thing, right? Like <laughs> just like keeping it up. Yeah. Like what are you talking about? Right." <laughs> Right, I don't know plausible de- deniability sort of thing, but you know, I, I choose to believe the I, the narrative that I build in my head that that's Anthony Hopkins just sort of taking a dump over the entire ceremony. Right, I, I initially was thinking there's no way that's true, but yes, th- it's a much more pleasant <laughs> view. I'm gonna take that. Yes, that's what he was doing. Uh, speaking of old people being funny, uh, Anthony Hopkins was doing it on purpose. There, in my opinion, Liza Minnelli. At the end, uh, with uh, Lady Gaga, with Lady Gaga, what was, a sweetheart was not, she is! Not good. I I really wish that they would stop dragging old people yeah. out when they're like clearly past their their situational prime. Like I, I remember, like Michael I felt Douglas like they did dad? this with like Kirk Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas' dad is the one that I remember. Yeah, that they 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 did it with Kirk Douglas like half a dozen times at the end of his they life, and like that, the, that I wasn't was, even sure he was alive one time. Like they just wheeled the body <laughs> of. He was lying in state, and they still <laughs> wheeled him out onto the stage for the Oscars. Uh, but like Liza Minnelli is not at all with it, and I like I. Like, there was some talk afterwards about, like, oh, how great of Lady Gaga to be there for life. And, like, they shared a couple of, like, that very quiet nice, moments. Yeah. It didn't change the fact yeah, that sure. she shouldn't it's, be but, out there But in the she first shouldn't place. be in that position right. where she has to be play nursemaid to this woman who's barely even present on the stage. Now, like it, 
the other things were uh, 30 years since White Man Can't Jump, like 28 years since uh, Pulp Fiction. So they brought those back. Yeah, 28 years. Do you not it's, celebrate 28 years? It's a very important years? anniversary in, in Tarantino world, apparently. I mean, do you not celebrate 28 years of <laughs> no, stuff? But as ridiculous as the 28-year one, at least it was an anniversary of something. What was the Liza Minnelli What do you mean it was hook? an anniversary of something? It's an anniversary of something <laughs> all the time. You just make that shit up. It can be literally any movie that at they chose. Point, you can't and they re- just say how long it's been. You can't assume people are going to survive to their 29th anniversary, Bob. Sometimes you got to strike while people are alive. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other parts of the Oscars this worth is, uh, talking about. Not uh, in any way critical, right? So remember that uh, when Coda won, and and even before they won for Best Picture, they would do the uh, the applause thing, which is the the jazz hands, right? I'm sorry, this is going to be all very offensive, but the jazz hands represented the applause, or at least uh, being happy. Like to me, like. It, Applauding itself is indicative of applauding, right? right. This is exactly what it, I said. He said that. I, I was watching s- the show, and and like I'm like at first I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? And then Lori's like, oh, that's how they clap. I'm like, what do you mean that's how they clap? This it's already a hand communicates gesture. everything. Yes, that this not, communicates, and you don't even have to is. teach anybody anything. Now, right? <laughs> the only thing is that maybe that the applause thing is already something else like come on everybody no it's just that okay the reason is because a lot of the time when people are applauding they're doing what i'm doing right now where their hands are in their laps oh so you want to be you can't see that i'm clapping but if if i go here okay then make it a demonstrative to me it is so not weird because i got just make it a demonstrative clap instead of a in your hands i'm just saying well but like that's sort of more patronizing like, oh, I'm clapping. Like, just do this. It's easy. I, to me, I I understand now no, that I, you both say it, but, I, like, <laughs> to me, that was so not weird. No, it just threw me off. I was like, what was wrong with the original thing? The the applauding right. thing. And also, isn't, hasn't the social justice crowd sort of adopted that well, as well? Isn't the that old something beatnik, that, like they, a they, they po- do the, the, the fake thing. snapping. Yeah. 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 Let's see. What about any of the awards? Do we care enough about? I mean, no. Dune cleaned up on all of the technical stuff. stuff, Yeah, and was sort of, I guess, obviously the fill-in for for the popular choice, uh, right? Because there there weren't any other big, really weren't any other big movies this year that were nominated. No, West Side Story. Yeah, but West Side Story made like $11 million or something. It didn't make any money. I mean, how much did Coda make? I'm sure the gross of the the movies that won big didn't really amount to much. But uh, I I, I don't remember there being any shocks or surprises, right? It seemed like everything – I mean, the best picture could have gone to any of them because it was not a particularly great year. But that was one of them. Yeah, they spread it out. So they gave Campion the director of of Power of the Dog. They gave her the director's award instead of the – picture of the year they gave the coda movie one for best adapted screenplay because apparently that's also a remake and then the best original screenplay went to belfast so they sort of spread it around that is true yeah everybody got a little bit no one was completely shut out right i mean i guess yeah Westside got best supporting actress right yeah so i think nightmare alley didn't win anything that's right i'm surprised jessica chastain won it that movie wasn't particularly good but i mean she did okay which one was that? The, the, oh, the Tammy, Tammy Faye. Faye. So the problem with that movie 
is there is a documentary about Tammy Faye yeah. called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah. So when is... someone says to me, have you seen <laughs> The Eyes of Tammy Faye? I'm like. Which? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but not the one you're talking right. about. Right. They did a very effective job uglying her up yeah. for that movie. Yeah. Like, she's a beautiful woman and she didn't look she anything the best like herself. Jawline I've ever seen. They uh this was her passion I, I don't know why I know this, but like I was watching some behind the scenes thing and this was like a passion project for her. She was like trying to make this movie for a while and I guess it paid off for her. Yeah, sure. Good for her. What else? The the hosts were fine. I thought that a lot of the jokes sort of fell flat. There's one some of them worked, some of them didn't, whatever. There's a thing, and it's just a, a permanent, or at least a, it seems permanent. Maybe it won't be. But there's a part of the culture now where if you're going to be white in these spaces, then you have to apologize for your whiteness in order for it all to be okay, right. apparently. Right. And so, like, half of the jokes that Amy Schumer made, especially in the, in the front half of the show, right. were just her apologizing for right. her whiteness and for being there. Or like, s- all of her laugh lines clueless, at the beginning like- of the episode. Yeah, like what's black Twitter or what's you know basically the right the what, what's of, black Twitter? The I'm just here to be the hectoring white lady or right. like she didn't say Karen, but she basically right. said I'm here to be Karen. Right? Did you? I mean, every year people complain. I haven't heard any complaints yet. I'm sure tomorrow I'll hear it. Did you find any fault with the dancing and singing during the in memoriam? Was that totally fine? Oh, I loved that. Yeah, that was, the I mean, dancing was a little weird, right. but only because the guy who was like the lead dancer looked like Arsenio Hall to yes. me. So if they had just picked a slightly different guy, it, it was, I thought I thought it was I thought it was too much. They should just play the fucking clips of the people and be done with it. I didn't like the honoring particularly specific people. Like, you didn't like that, right? Like or that, they, that, that feel like, and I love Bill Murray. Like I, Bill Murray is one of my favorite actors in the history of Hollywood, and. Even that felt weird to me, where Do they not like- specifically single out Ivan Reitman to get special treatment. Like this is, it's supposed to be like to me. It should be a very democratized moment. But where it's they already just- not right. It's already three tiers, right? One, they. I mean, this year they actually did like a quick piece on the important ones. But in other years, they would kind of like stay on them for a beat or two longer than the rest, right? So it's like Betty White dies. They get a few seconds before some fucking photographer or whatever, right? Uh, and then not everyone will make the broadcast cut, and then they're like, oh, go to this fucking website. And I'm that sure was we- my favorite part. So they, <laughs> That's they like the throw up that dis- It's basically a disclaimer that they throw up at the end. It's like, uh, this is certainly not a complete list of everyone. And as soon as it basically, as soon as we check Twitter to find out who we missed, you'll be able to find on our website all of the names that belong. Right. It's curiously not immediately available. It's like we'll right. get the feedback and then we'll get back to you. Far more distracting was the fact that Will Smith had just punched a dude on live television. Like that, that was that was far more changed the whole vibe yeah, of the that- evening and. And therefore took us out of the moment than any amount of dancing or singing could have done to disrupt it. Do you think they uh, showed overall restraint with the Ukraine stuff? They just had the the, the little sign, and I just... can't believe that. I can't believe how little of it actually I, yeah, intruded I think on the broadcast. Restraint. I yeah. think it was super. It was super weird that it was only even barely mentioned by anyone. Like it, Basically, yeah. it was just that spiel, and then somebody said "Viva Ukraine," and and Mila, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis made like a very vague reference right. to like what's happening right there right now, but besides so, that, nobody said sh- anything. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was uh, 
marching orders because people don't respond to that. So I can't imagine the academy told people. And what's weird? What's weird about the the lack of people speaking out on the Ukraine thing is that there's nobody that would object to that. Unlike, say, Jessica Chastain getting on her high horse about how we're, we're doing this for the gays and, and, right. and the self-identified queer Puerto Rican lady who won for West Side Story. Oh, yeah, she was great. Talking about, yeah, she was great. She certainly deserved to win. But like all of that identity stuff, like that plays really well in a certain part of the country and among a certain crowd, and I certainly understand that. But like with the Russia stuff, you would have had the backing of everyone. Like, yeah, no, no, I mean, no one disagrees. Yeah, right. that's Nobody true. would have. It was. It was weird to me that people didn't take that opportunity, and maybe they're just trying not to like bring the mood down or right. whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah you're not going to lose anybody on that. Uh, I don't know if this is an interest of the academy, but if they were trying to bring the broadcast under three hours, which is totally doable. How important are all of the different help, uh, they bring out some celebrity to do the award? And there's always this like awkward like thing that they do. It takes about a minute or two where it's like here's the Pulp Fiction people and they'll do a two-minute bit and then they'll go into the category. Like if you just – you have three hosts. What the hosts. fuck was Tony Hawk and Sean White doing there with right. that other guy who I don't, I, don't, like, I don't even know who the fuck the third guy was. Right. I assumed he was some sort of BMX guy just because we had the skateboarder and we have the snowboarder. Maybe that guy rides bikes. I don't fucking know. Right. So I don't know but, if there are some sort of uh, commitments by like the agents to say we need our – stars to have FaceTime on this award show. So that's like a load-bearing pillar that you can't remove for the broadcast. But if you got rid of that, you have three co-hosts. Work them in throughout the night where they're just kind of facilitating the show. It would be a much smoother show, and you would be done by 11 if it starts at 8. And they're not willing to do that. And I suspect it's because we need to have these people out there. We need to see their face. But yeah, Oscars were fun, unlike just about every other year, uh, when <laughs> I don't feel good about having watched them. Last night, I felt good about having watched that. All right, Jeez. bring back, do you think the Oscars brings Chris Rock to host next year, and they have a big laugh <laughs> about it? Man, I hope so. I th- that w- the, what was funny is that before we even got to the horror of what was happening with Chris Rock and Will Smith, is like... Because he tells some silly joke about it wasn't a good joke either that he told about Javier, Javier Bardem and uh, Penelope Cruz. Yeah, like oh, oh that, that you don't want to win if she doesn't win because she'll chase you around the house with a broom or whatever. <laughs> like you can't have that. Ha ha ha. Like it was a very corny, de- stupid yeah. joke right. about like about oh, wives. Can you oh, these fucking wives? <laughs> Am I man. right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It was super cheesy, <laughs> but like that's what I wanted. Like. I, like and I guess that's just I'm the I'm the wrong target audience. But like as he's doing that, I'm like, oh, this is stupid. But also, man, I wish Chris Rock was hosting this thing and that he would. They just leave him out there because he's fucking great. There, there was this must have been 15 years ago. Uh, I, I think I suspect a lot of the stars don't like it when the Chris Rock types host because like maybe they'll he, he takes digs that others won't. But there was a year where. Jude Law, I want to say, was in a lot of movies, and Chris Rock made like a like. What the fuck? This guy's in every yeah, movie. That's is, one of Bob's favorite things. And Sean actually, <laughs> Abe, you were referring to perhaps until last night, yeah. my favorite Oscar <laughs> moment of all time, which is that was so great. I, I, I don't want to step on this for you, but I've, I've told this but story so many times. Yeah, I just remember he came afterwards, and like Sean Penn, you know, is always serious. He can't just fucking. 
take a night off. And he was like defending Jude Law, even though Sean like, Penn gets up there. Sean Penn gets up there after, like, because yeah, Jude Law is like talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. He's like, oh, you believe that? He said he's been in like 17 movies this year. We're sick of Jude Law. That's the that's the whole joke, right? right. It's a stupid yeah, joke. Again, it doesn't mean anything. Nobody fucking comments. cares. And then Sean Penn gets up there and he like takes a breath, deep sigh, and he looks around. Jude Law happens to be one of our finest actors. <laughs> if I can find the clip, oh, I'll stick it in there. It... Forgive my compromised sense of humor, uh, but I did want to answer our host question about who Jude Law is. Uh, he's, he's one of our finest actors. and, and... I just remember laughing through what he was saying because he just had this stupid face. I'm like, come on, Sean. You save some people occasionally, but don't be an asshole. Anyway, that's the Oscars. It was great. Yeah, more violence. What else can we do here? Oh, no, no, no. We'll uh, we could talk about the movies we watched, Real and quick, that's about it. Let's wrap up on Katanji Brown-Jackson, who uh, last week, I think we said most of what needed to be said even before any of the questioning happened, right? right? So we, we talked last week about... Uh, how Josh Hawley was being a shithead, and then Josh Hawley went on to continue to be a right. shithead in unsurprising ways. Uh, I did want to, in particular, talk about Tom Cotton. And, and to be fair, they were all shitheads. And, and I'm not just talking about the Republicans, although in this in case, the Republicans, rep- yeah. the Republicans had the opportunity to be the bigger shitheads and they they took it, right? right? That's that's what they do in this situation. They took and full advantage. Really... It's really disappointing anytime Chris Coons gets to talk at extended length and seem like the good, reasonable guy, right? And that's that's the main problem. I've said this before that like stop getting up there and letting these assholes seem reasonable because like Chris Coons a big dummy who like I ordinarily shouldn't have any respect for, but when he is following Lindsey Graham, who's completely off his fucking rocker, and asking this lady to rate the level of her faith. <laughs> Yeah. on a scale of one what the to fuck ten was that? yeah and she speaking of like people not taking the opportunity to say the thing that that is right there in front of them right. and i think that she would have benefited to an extent by saying something like actually that's between me and right. god you right. fucking maniac right. yeah with without the the added editorial yeah. phrasing there but like Instead, she was unflappably polite, generally speaking, and and didn't want to make a scene, which I totally understand. And I'm sure there was a lot of, like, particularly gross stuff about how, uh, like, from the consultant class saying you don't want to become emotional because, of course, that will play into certain tropes about angry black women. Not that that we think that, of course, but, like, this is how you will seem in, in in front of the media and in front of the people. You don't want to do that, so please just be cool. And she was certainly cool in the face of some gnarly questioning. And while I maintain that it was all gross and bad, I don't think that it was uniquely so. I don't think that given the opportunity, the Democrats wouldn't have behaved similarly badly. Now, I do think that like Hawley's stuff about the child porn stuff was particularly because of the way that it plays into the tropes, the the QAnon nonsense, and the fact that he, he just keeps coming back to it, and he's trying to associate this woman with like the most unspeakable crimes that you can come up with off the top of your head. Right. That was terrible. By the way, 
I and I apologize. I should. I was. I, I was meaning to pose this question to you before this podcast, but here we are. Uh, I was listening to a an episode of the Gabfest like two weeks ago, whatever, and Emily Bazelon said made a connection that I didn't know existed, explaining some of these uh, cases, and she said that in some cases these uh, child sexual imagery cases are like people on the spectrum are seeking out this content. And I just was like, what's the connect? I have no idea what the connection is with somebody who's like developmentally, you know, on the spectrum and seeking out this kind of material. But yeah, she was I think saying like, that was like the, like for all we know, those were the mitigating circumstances that got them the different sentence than the recommended guidelines. And right. I didn't know that was actually a thing. And by the way, Jackson is not at all out of step with the way that the majority of justices or, or judges rather have done sentencing. And that was a point that she tried to make over and over again, which is that, first of all, you have given judges this latitude, right? right. It's not like I was writing these laws. I right. was simply following guidance in, in sentencing guidelines that have been set by Congress, right. by lawmakers, by this very body, right. right? So you can disagree with the fact that I have that flexibility and, and, and am allowed to use my judgment, but you gave it to me, right? right? This, was, this is your doing and your failure to act if you happen to think that these guidelines are so flagrantly wrong that you've given people like me too much power, that's, the, the, the ball is in your right, court, right. which, by the way, makes her perfect for the Supreme Court and especially makes her perfect for the Roberts yeah, Court. Yeah, that's right. Because that's, that's, the, that's the Roberts move that's been is to go, yeah. ah, yeah. there's nothing we can do here because the shitty fucking Congress, this is actually your job, right? right. Like, that is classic Roberts. So she's going to fit right in. I was going to say something about Cotton. What was I going to say about Cotton? So Cotton made a big deal about the fact that she had represented uh, detainees at Gitmo and tried to somehow imply right. that after she finished her job as a public defender, that she had like sought out these other Gitmo detainees to then go on further representing them. Right. And he was painting this as a failing of hers or as a, as a potential like you must have a soft spot for terrorists. Right. And it's it's the worst sort of it, it's the sort of thing that. What is it exactly that you like about this country, Tom Cotton, if it's not the idea that we all have civil rights and we're all supposed to have solid representation in the event that we're being accused of something by something as sort of omnipotent as the federal government to the United States, right? Like in, in most cases, you would think it's in fact good for people to have a lawyer, right. whether they're guilty or innocent or not. Like why is Tom Cotton insisting that there's something inherently wrong with defending people who are being detained at Gitmo as if somehow being at Gitmo means you should just go into a black hole forever right. and never have any representation. Or you're condoning whatever it is they're being accused of. I suspect this is one of those people in certain settings will say, of course, in principle, this is a great thing, a very integral part of our criminal justice system. But at the back of their minds, a lot of people think, oh, you're helping a guilty person get off, right? There seems to be this stereotype or like using your legalese and some sort of loophole to get somebody who's otherwise a danger to society out of the danger that they're in by the prosecution, right? There seems to be, right. he's playing to that crowd, I suspect. That they're like, yeah, she's trying to help but the this enemy. But this is something that is like, 
beyond reproach is being a public defender. Right. Like it's it's it it's on be. a level for me. It's on a level with being like a volunteer firefighter. Right. Like it's 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 the sort of thing that holds entire communities together. Right. It's what makes societies work. It's it's what makes the whole fucking thing work is that there are people who are willing to for a fucking pittance right. for for twenty two thousand dollars a year right. after they've just spent six years going to college and graduate school and forking over God knows how much money and taking on God knows how many loans in in some cases to then take a shitty fucking job in in a in a shitty and and yeah does it it turns out that she then goes from that to work for high powered law firms and all the rest and good for her right that means that she's good at what she's done what what she does but to disparage public defenders in in that way just strikes me as like antithetical to what it what what a good American is it is but unfortunately most people uh, most people I'll take that back a significant number of people don't share your enthusiasm, let's say. They're like, ah, it's a dirty thing that must be done, but I don't like it when they get off somebody on a technicality or whatever. Or they're like defending yeah. the Boston Marathon people or whatever, you know, like yeah. they can't separate those two. Do you have a guess for how many votes she's going to get? 50 plus one. I think she's going to, so 50 plus Harris? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, think I haven't heard any. I, uh, I mean, Sass is already a no, right? So basically, Sass is a no, and Sass pissed me off yeah. with his no because yeah. Sass was maybe the only Republican that I can think of, and I've I've watched just, <laughs> or in this case, I listened to, and I love I love these fucking things mostly because I love watching senators who are among my least favorite Americans get completely outclassed by smarter people than them, and there's never been. Like even the dumb ones, even Brett Kavanaugh, just operates at another at a, at a baseline that's just ten degrees higher than any of the fucking dummy senators in the room. Ninety nine percent of the time, and and watching somebody like this incredibly smart uh, and capable woman do what she did in responding to these shitty shit eating questions most of the time was enjoyable in a sh- sort of schadenfreude sort of way. Right. And yeah, I just, as stupid circus as the whole thing is, where they're not ever allowed to actually say anything, and they just sort of try to talk in circles the entire time, I still do enjoy the spectacle of it. It's almost like this weird rite of, like, you have to kind of go through this thing, because it's like the last opportunity where you're, you have to kind of take this kind of abuse, like this kind of scrutiny, because after that's a lifetime appointment, right? right? So I think like, I said to you, I said to you in the in a text message something to the effect of, like I I just hope that Ted Cruz hates this as much as it appears <laughs> yes. that he like doesn't, yeah. like because part of watching Ted Cruz do what he did, which again was just largely despicable, uh, but also like perfectly in keeping with what modern politics is. Like it's, it's not out of step with any of this. And the idea that somehow the Republican, maybe the Republicans are worse, but like, well, whatever, we don't want to relitigate the Kavanaugh thing, but the Kavanaugh thing was also sort of gross in, in very important ways that it's not, it's just not okay to talk about in polite society, apparently, but it, 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 100% 100% it was a shit show the the one distinction i make between that and this and you're right we're kind of it's constantly getting worse like the way people behave in these kind of things but what's interesting in this case is that a lot of this uh, supposed contentious issues that they're raising are just kind of almost kind of made out of thin air basically there is this is not a controversial nominee there's no allegation leveled against them in any way sexual financial 
whatever, right? There's no nothing, right? There's nothing there, but because the way that Kavanaugh was treated and his situation was much different because there was an allegation. So what do you do with an allegation you can't prove because it happened such a long time ago, but a lot of people believe you kind of get in this like ugly, like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, confirm, right? Uh, in a very hostile, divisive kind of way. There's a, a big spectacle, but there was nothing here. It was just like a liberal replacing a liberal with a very conventional, highly respected nominee it should have been just like, all right, whatever. I mean, ask your question, right. but like, there's nothing there, really. Right. And what I was saying about Cruz was just that I just hope that he hates it as much as it seems like a, a normal human being would hate having to perform the way that he's having to perform. Right. And it's, it's it's this weird thing where like I, I get this weird – like there's this weird underlying psychology going on there where I'm – and admittedly, I'm just – I'm doing all of the work here. This is not what's <laughs> actually happening. But the underlying psychology to me is like Ted Cruz walks around knowing that like, I don't know, 55 to 60 percent of America who knows who he is fucking hates right. his guts, right? And like that's part of the game. The game is that Ted Cruz has to be fucking hated by half the goddamn country. And that sucks. Even if you're Ted Cruz and you suck, which he certainly does, like even for Ted Cruz, that kind of sucks right. to walk around knowing that your job is to be hated by half the fucking country. So part of me is like, look, I'm one of the most couple of hundred most powerful political figures in the country and i'm fucking despised and you know what you should have a taste of that too i'm not proud of it yes. but like i want you <laughs> to feel some of the hatred that i have to endure every fucking day and if, if you want to rise to the the level of influence that you want to rise to right and i, I bet you there's a little bit and, of that going and yeah on. And, th and if there is it's like you're just passing through so whatever harm you get i live in this like it's like that bane guy like i was like Right. Born in this fucking stew. And and I suspect that the cruisers of the world, they think I'm successful being hated, right? So, like, I'm sure at night they probably feel bad about it, but it's like, shit, I don't... Like this she's also she's even. also going on she's going on to a not just a great job like one of the greatest right. jobs that you can pot like like even setting aside all of the qualifications about like some other career path or whatever this is a fucking phenomenal especially job. if you love reading and giving your thoughts <laughs> it's like fuck right. that's bullshit <laughs> one of the all time great jobs and and it's not it's a job that Ted Cruz desperately wants oh, yeah. and has wanted as long as he can remember wanting anything. Yeah. It's I, I think that he would rather be a Supreme Court justice than he would than than even be the president, right? Because right? the president they come, they you go. Come, yeah. Like what Ted Cruz wants is to be on the is to be on the bench right. at the Supreme Court right. and it's never gonna happen for him and he's taking it out on her. <laughs> That's probably true. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You find the show on Facebook or Twitter, head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Abe, what have you been watching? By the way, I should uh, say that the way I assess people in real life is totally different than my judgments that I cast on fictional characters, right? So uh -huh. this weekend, I... And I should mention, Saturday, it was very windy in Atlanta. It was the kind of wind that pissed me off where it, it fucks wind up everything. Wind is every the most annoying weather. Yeah, it was just like very windy, like this gust of wind would come, knocks people shit off like at the tables outside. Yep. And I said, fuck this. I'm done with this whole day. 
I go home. <laughs> Were you trying to enjoy some volleyball no, or something? No, I was what like was, at a table. What was the problem? Like no, music. wind is super annoying. It's Just very annoying. Inside. And then when your cup gets below halfway, it loses its uh, heft. It's a fucking... <laughs> ah, anyways. So I was like, you know what? Outside for me is a no-go. So I watched the entire first season of Euphoria... And that's nice. what I was finishing up when uh, the Oscars was, was going on. It's very easy to digest, isn't it? It was like only eight episodes. It was very quick. I mean, yeah. these people are very fucking... Uh, they're eight 50-minute uh, episodes. Yeah, so. they're all miserable people. I really, I, nobody is happy in this show. I mean, it's a fictional show. and it's No, empty. no one's happy. No one's happy. And there's this depression stuff and I don't feel so good stuff and all that you know, kid stuff, right? And... The main character, Bob, earlier you were poo-pooing the coverage of, of Naomi and maybe her behavior. But the, the, the main character, her name is Rue on the show, she would be like depressed where she can't even get up from her bed to take a piss. And I would be watching and like, get the fuck up. Look, it's right there. The bathroom <laughs> is literally right there. So again, if this was happening in real life, I would like, no, no, no. Got to defer to where you are. No, but it's on, on the TV. Show, it's different. It's come on. The choices That's, that people. It's are good making. though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's entertaining. Yeah, but I was just it's like, very I have, entertaining. I have should like, I should I watch the show, you, Abe? <laughs> I think you would hate it more because <laughs> some of the choices that they make. If you're uh, this uh, harsh uh, with the real world people, I can't imagine what you would say about the yeah, people. I do. On the I show. do hate wild teens. Like it's. <laughs> Uh, I, I've maintained for a very long it's all time. It is. It's just wild scenes. A lot of them are women too, so strike against. Sure, that there is that you're not even like a full human being until you're about 24, 25 years old. Right. Yeah, and I, I couldn't figure out their age. By the way, uh, this is going to come across. Juniors in high school. It's going to come across wrong, but this is all expectation, not like what I wanted. But maybe it's a season two thing. I didn't see that many flaccid penises on the first season unless i'm just watch a lot of that on hbo but I you just, didn't see that many yeah it didn't stand out like i mean occasionally it would happen but it would very Abe had been prepared if you go back and listen to previous episodes of the show you'll hear Lori and abe discussing all of the dick i think that's euphoria. i was just assuming there's going to be like an episode yeah. devoted. Eighty of them were cut. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find. Wait, wait. There the were number. eighty cut penises. How many uncut penises? Oh, stop it. Thirty. <laughs> um, there were. <laughs> again, it must have. HBO's Euphoria flashes thirty penises on screen one in ep- in one episode alone. Um, there's just a whole lot. Hey, but it sounds like you've just got cock butt. Me- the second it. episode. <laughs> oh, the 30, here, the like 30 penis situation <laughs> reportedly occurs in the series' second episode during a locker room sequence. That's right. Envisioned as a gender-bent yes. homage. Yeah. It was very so, quick. Like, boom, boom, boom. You can hardly see it. It's any. too many. I know, but there's a little 30 people in the bathroom. What and are you going to do? And the cam but, guy? The cam? You didn't? I, I, the, again. There was like a lot. Sometimes it's there's, like... Too many naked people. I'm like, what is going on? But I didn't have. I was just like, oh, they're in the gym and or the locker I don't, room. Or maybe you don't have the like aversion I, that I have may, to penises. It's just all of the HBO shows. There's another show, uh, the Minx or Minx or something about some yeah. seven, and they they do that too. But HBO, I believe just, that. I think that it's like a reaction to the last decade of just like boobs yeah, all over the that's place. That's the thing. I, There's lots of boobs in Euphoria right. too. I don't know. Yeah. It basically just kind of blends if you if I see something like there was twice. some there was some wiener in uh 
in other HBO shows, oh, right? Oh, yeah, there's, but not it, some, but like... There's G- Wiener and Game of Thrones. There's yeah, some. We- but this is basically there's like just big... Somebody's taking a shit. He's got anyway, his pants down. Anyway, good use of a Saturday night. I'm super jealous. Right, but yeah, I, it was like four episodes Saturday, and then I finished So you're off. almost caught up. I'm in the second episode of season two? I second? Actually, yeah. I'm one episode behind you. The, the guy... The Fesco beats Oh, no, the... I'm right there. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I just finished that this morning. All right. Okay. Did uh, did you go to the movies, or is this the only thing oh, that you Oh, I watched? did go... Did I? Oh, Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. The Lost... Oh, Barber. no. You went to go see <laughs> the, the Channing Tatum... <laughs> They're very charming. Uh, I, 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 <sighs> Sandra Bullock, she's had her bad movies, but she's... Uh, I'm always a fan she of hers. Has. It was fun. Yeah, I've never cared for Sandra Bullock. I think I recall you uh, poo-pooing her once. Like, oh, she's not pretty enough to be a 90s action, whatever. What was your bullshit? I don't remember. I'm sure. I'm sure that it, sure she's no leading lady. Blah blah, blah blah. Yeah, I'm sure that I have a take. I'm sure it's not anything to be proud of. We uh, we watched West Side Story. Oh, nice. Because I wanted to finish what I could. Like I said, I didn't watch any of the Apple TV Oscar-nominated films, which I think. It was Belfast and Coda and maybe one other. Belfast is good. And we'll get around, I guess someday we'll have an Apple TV subscription and we'll have to watch those. But uh, we watched West Side Story, which was at the same time that I found it like spectacular, which it, like that's the word for it. Yeah. It's spectacular. Yeah. And I mean that with as little positive judgment as possible. <laughs> like I'm not trying to <laughs> connote greatness it when i say spectacular it was like a spectacle right it was as saying. a spectacle it was incredibly well composed and well shot and every trick in the spielberg book comes out in terms of the making of the movie and also it feels like a weird hollow clockwork emotionless like exercise by numbers in kind of doing thing. something yeah. that was done 60 right. years ago. Like, I just don't understand the point of it. Well, when for people who haven't like, watched the 60 years ago one, worked out pretty sure, well. Sure, but why, who's ever going to go back? Because that's the other thing, is like, why would you ever now go back and watch... Oh. What yeah. was once considered a towering achievement in, in the history of cinema when you could instead watch the thing that Steven Spielberg did that is whatever else it is fucking spectacular in every way, right? right? In terms of just the the way it looks, the way it's shot, the, the glitz of it all. The new Anita is fantastic. Yeah, Rita Moreno is great in the role of basically Doc. But like it all, it's all great. And what? But what is Ansel Elgort even doing? Like, there's no emotion happening at any point. Yeah. But Tony, the character, sucks. Is the thing. So. And also, if there's one thing that I will fault Spielberg for, it is in the moment in in what should be and spoilers for the 60 year old movie <laughs> that they remade, not shot for shot, but certainly but like almost beat yeah. for beat. Uh, but when Tony. Shanks, oh uh, yeah, not because so Riff gets shanked by the Puerto Rican fella yeah. whose name I can't remember, and then Tony immediately turns around and shanks the Puerto Rican fella accidentally because of course 
that needed to be a moment of decision. Like, it, and I needed to believe the emotionality of that moment for for the character of Tony, and I didn't even for a second. It just felt weird and hollow and empty, and I didn't buy it. And that was the it's the one thing that not, didn't ring true for me. Not the, the oh movie. my god, you're admitting that you killed my brother. Stay around, stay the night. That wasn't. Was that in the original? That's just in the story, yeah, though. Yeah, that's just that's fucking just wild teens. That's just awful teens uh, being stupid and, and believing that they're the only people in the history of the world that mattered, right? I mean, that's, that's what you get when you're fucking 18 years old. Hmm. Not surprising. But yeah, the performances were... Although the girl, I thought... I think that the girl will be better in the future. She was oh, a, her a, voice was the best by a mile. Yeah, terrific voice. Holy shit. She was great, but as an actress, she wasn't particularly convincing. Well, you gotta pick Whatever. one Maria thing. Maria kind of sucks, like too. What are you gonna do? Those sports movies and the person can't throw the ball, but they can act, you know? If you can sing, we can figure the rest out. Sure. But yeah, I thought... Like I said, I mean, it was better than that stupid in the heights moving from also this year but at least in the heights like had an original like has a right. reason for being i don't know why <laughs> west side story exists except for steven spielberg to say i did it right which well, is I feel like great. steven spielberg wanting to do a thing is reason enough to do a thing didn't you yeah. dad watch uh the i'm gonna kill the uh the people that my wife is sleeping with i, I I've... yeah we also yes in a, in it a, was great in a weird synergy with the fact that jada pinkett <laughs> Uh, the whole weird honor culture thing with Will Smith. Don't give this Will week. any ideas. I, I like Chris. <laughs> yeah. Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas. Bob's girlfriend. In Deep Water. Who, she was in Blade Runner, right? Yeah, Blade Runner. Uh, and also. Knives Out. Knives Out, the Ryan Johnson. She's been a lot of movie. things. She's been a lot of stuff. She is a perfect looking human being. Right. I don't know what she's like in real life. I don't. I don't. She dates Ben Affleck sometimes yeah, in it's real not, life. It doesn't so. speak well for her. <laughs> I thought that, that she spent was, uh, some time. Maybe he's I can keep fine track of this too, Ben Affleck though. guy. Who he's knows? dating everybody. Anyway, Anna de Armas is. She's just. I sure. Do I? Am I a red-blooded American male who cycles through celebrities as they age out of a certain paradigm in my mind? Yes, I am fucking awful and disgusting in that way. We've discussed that once. Here. Once it was Penelope Cruz and Salma Hayek. It was briefly Catherine Zeta Jones. He's into them when they're thirty-three, <laughs> and and now it's Ana de Armas. She's just a she is. That's what humans should look like. Sorry, oh, all the rest of the eight. humans. That's just that is By that way, is how that, we've achieved something here that was not previously achieved and is unlikely to be achieved again. It's not anyone's fault, but there's the perfect looking human. I, I didn't know this was a competition. I would have tried harder, but like well, people it, can look however <laughs> they want to look. Yeah, sure, they can I'm look however they want. You don't have a Mila Kunis thing, then they look really similar. No, Mila Mila is a little too thin. Always has been. Look at you, no, but it's up to your standard, Bob. No, Ana de Armas is. Anyway, is she a good terrible movie. It's no. such a bad movie. She's a good. She's a fine actress. She's a good actress. Yeah, it's whatever. That's so, not the point of the movie. So I did. It's so bad. I did not see this movie, but somebody online when the trailer came out was just like, "Watch this thing." And did we she, say the word? It was Deep Water. The name of yeah. the movie is Deep Water. She's like you out there. jerking him off at the park. Right. This yeah. is the trailer. Like, I'm like no. What so is that's happening? A, mm, See, you need to see the movie okay. to see what was really happening there. Um, the best review that I read talked about how awful it was, yeah. and then at the end said, "I will gladly watch it again with anyone who will let me." Like, <laughs> that was that was bad, and I just want to watch right. it over and over right. again. I also 
What's disappointing about it to me is it's the sort of movie that I want to exist and to be good, which is like the adult thriller that's also like they don't make those a bit horny and like inappropriate at times the way that we used to make them. The same guy, by the way, this Adrian Lin fella who made Nine and a Half Weeks and Fatal Attraction and like some Diane Lane movie for like thirty years ago. This old fuck is still. Cranking out. Un- Unfaithful, I think, is a Diane Lane oh, yeah. movie I'm thinking of. Unfaithful, which you can't watch, can you? Because you have like queasiness when it comes to adultery. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's all this guy does. Wasn't it like an like understanding? Again, I, I'm just going by the trailer. There, there wasn't like a, an open kind of thing. You, you go do you and I'll kill them. Yeah, it's a very, so it, we could have a whole separate uh, episode okay. talking about the movie. We could just like, this could just be a deep water podcast right. <laughs> if we put I gotta our watch minds it. to it, which I what think we could do. streaming thing is this on? It's on, it's Hulu. on Hulu. Okay. And it's fine. It's And it's entertaining enough, but like it's one of those movies that's like, I'm not sure that they put the effort into this for me to then put the effort into trying to understand it or, or talk about it in a in an intelligent way because it, a lot of the script is like it, it needed a once over and it didn't get it anyway deep water watch Go it watch it, watch it for oh, Anna de Armas I guess but uh, what else did we do we ran our race that was the other big thing oh, that we did right. this weekend we, big we numbers you guys put ten, up. 10 mile race and I didn't lose to anyone that I know personally which is all that mattered to me <laughs> I finished ahead of Lori and our neighbor. Well, that's good. I, I did fine. I don't care. And what were you like uh, was fun. in the top 300 of all males in your group or something? Nope. Very solid. I was, outing. first of all, how dare you? I can hear the tone of your voice. <laughs> don't appreciate it one bit. It's worth mentioning how. I how... did it in uh, one hour, 30 minutes, and four seconds, according to my my bib result. I was wearing a, you know, the technology yeah. that you wear this thing right. and you, you cross over the sensors and they, right. they track you throughout the race. I finished overall three number 363 Look among the men. That. You can see a video of him finishing on YouTube. No kidding. Me? And everyone. Yeah. Oh, you can, I did not wow. know that. That's distra- That's distressing. Please, <laughs> please don't show that. Oh. <laughs> Send me anyway, I, I, I finished almost exactly in the middle of the pack. It was okay. number 617 overall, and uh, and there were like twelve or 1,300 people wow. who, who did the race. Fun was had. Nobody got too tired afterwards. I didn't die. Yes. That's all that mattered. I didn't die. Uh, and it felt like it felt better than I expected it to. At no point did I like have to stop. I didn't have to walk or anything like that. Like I... Kept a very consistent nine-minute pace. Were, I mean, it seems like you're like right at nine minutes. Were you vindicated with your silly little uh, training regimen, or were was it overkill? Do you think that you get, did it just right? No, I felt good about the training regimen, that, that, that I really pushed myself beyond what the race required okay. of me, and therefore I found the race to be less challenging ultimately, okay. which is what I wanted. Gotcha. Anyway, Abe, you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we have for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. Jada's going boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited.
invitation I would turn down. Uh, but I understand, I'm, you know, I'm not hating. I understand you're mad. Jada's mad, her man, Will, was not nominated for concussion. I get it, I get it. Tell the truth, I get it. I get it. You get mad, she said, it's, it's not fair that Will was this good and didn't get nominated. Yeah, you're right. It's also not fair that Will was paid 20 million for Wild Wild West, okay? <laughs> okay? Things, you know, but, you know, this year, one bad thing did happen, though, which is that the kids from down the street, our, our neighbor friends, who I, you know, they were here last year. I taught them. We, we did the homeschool thing with them last year. I saw them at almost exactly at mile six. They were on the side of the road to, to cheer on their dad, who was the guy that I wanted to make sure that I ran faster than because, it, you know, for no good reason, <laughs> but it was important to me. And so I see them at mile six and you get this. Like, I, I've never done this before, so I didn't know that this was going to be a thing. But, like, I give them high fives, and they cheer me on, and I give them the glad hand. Like, hey, hey you know, that sort of thing. Like, you're, you're sort of putting on a show for them or whatever. Yeah. And that gives you this sudden burst of, like, adrenaline, and, like, you just feel empowered again all of a sudden. But that happened at mile six. And at mile six, you immediately start going uphill. And it's... It's basically from mile six to mile nine and a half is all uphill. Right. It's very much uphill. And so, like, you get this this momentary burst of adrenaline and juice to, to send you on your way on the back half of the course from the friends who are on the side of the road there. And then it all goes away, like, a quarter mile later. And it's like, I didn't it, have that problem. It would have been I'm way better if that didn't happen. I'm not energized by people. They, they don't energize me. I, I didn't have the same problem. I don't, maybe you don't have the, like, aversion that I have to penises. <laughs> Sounds like you've got cock blindness. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a... Uh... Greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Okay.